Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hello, and welcome back to part two of our story with Liliana and how we went through her sensory and anxiety needs in her first couple years of life. If you haven't listened to part one, the short story is she was a tough baby. She didn't sleep well. I had postpartum anxiety, which led to mom rage, which led to accidental sleep training and isolation. If you want to hear more details about it, head back to episode one. So by the time Liliana was around nine months, I remember noticing what little frustration tolerance this girl had. I know you are probably like, Laura, what what are you talking about? She's nine months old. What nine month old has any frustration tolerance? I mean, I would take her to those Gymboree pop-in classes and I'd see lots of other kids her age, babies her age, try to stack cones or put the rings around a cone. And they may not have gotten it at first, but you'd see their little chubby hands grab and try again at least once or twice. And when we did things like this, Liliana, well within her developmental abilities, if it didn't work right away, she'd lose her mind. (laughs) When she used a push toy, if she couldn't turn the corner, she would just keep bumping into the wall and start crying until someone helped her. This part about frustration, tolerance, and big emotions has continued and are still a huge issue for us to this day. Like literally this morning, she had a huge reaction to not being able to put on her shoe just right. But they became a bigger problem for us when we took her to a small in-home daycare when she was about 13 months. Every day, every day, I would get texts and calls from the nanny detailing how bad her meltdowns were and literally more often than not, I can only remember that these times I ended up having to pick up Liliana from the nanny's house early. And this meant that I had to cancel my OT clients very last minute. Like sometimes they were actually there and I had to be like, I'm sorry, I have to leave to go pick up my daughter. It was so, so, so disruptive. I'm to this day still traumatized when I think about those days. And I'm not even joking, traumatized, meaning like when I drop off Liliana at school, now two years later, I still have this lingering worry. What if the school calls me to pick her up? I now know that that particular daycare was the exception and not the norm, that that was not really an appropriate thing for the nanny to be doing to keep texting me all day, but that's another story. But the level of intensity and the length of her meltdowns just really started to increase at this time as well. So throughout this time, I always brought this up to my pediatrician. I was always telling her at every well-child visit that Liliana's sleep was hard, her behaviors were hard, 
I would talk about her behavioral challenges and her emotions and always got told this is normal. And I was always given some run-of-the-mill parenting tip to try as if I hadn't tried them all already. So at 14 months, I took the step to have her evaluated by our local regional center, which is basically state-funded services. So it was free, but the first step is having a play expert come to the house and assess her. At this time, this was mostly questions that she asked me, and based off of that, Liliana did not qualify for further assessment or services. So by August 2019, after Liliana's second birthday, I was adamant. There must be something more to the picture, because up until then, so we were denied services from Regional Center, which was, I think... And so she was 14 months old. And then all the way up until she was two, we were dealing with her intense meltdowns daily. The nanny kept sending her home like it was a mess. So I was adamant by August 2019, there has to be something more to the picture. Her big emotions seemed more similar to the ones I see in my own clients at the clinic versus other kids I've seen at classes or through my personal circle. And the feelings of isolation at this time just continued and got stronger Even though I did meet some super friendly moms with kids Liliana's age, Liliana seemed to still stand out as the hard one in the group, and my anxiety about her meltdowns just kept me from so many playdates. So I was persistent with my pediatrician to get a referral to the developmental pediatrician. And when I say persistent, I mean I had gone into the doctor's office about three times within a span of four months because of Liliana's extreme meltdowns. I just, I didn't know what to do. It wasn't until I showed the pediatrician some videos of Liliana's meltdowns that she, then she finally said, okay, if it'll make you feel better, let's refer to a developmental pediatrician. So real quick, for those of you listening who aren't familiar with a developmental pediatrician, developmental pediatricians are trained and experienced in identifying a range of developmental and behavioral differences. So they can evaluate your child's overall development, they can provide a diagnosis, and recommend specific treatment plans through the respective childhood experts. They basically triage your child based on what they find in the assessment. They can assess for autism, ADHD, anxiety, and many other developmental delays, and then tell you which professional would benefit your child. A developmental pediatrician is typically the first responder when you have a child with some delays, some behavioral challenges, and you don't exactly know what it is or which professional to work with. If you suspect autism, ADHD, or just aren't quote sure, Developmental pediatricians are just the best place to start. So at this point, she just turned two. I wasn't sure if SPD was in the picture. Was it autism? Was it anxiety? Was it all of it? I really didn't know because this age range was out of my scope of practice as an OT and I was a first time mom. I should also say that none of my family at this time really was on board with the idea that there was something truly going on with Liliana. They said, you know, oh, she'll grow out of it, or oh, that's just her personality, or some other excuse that they totally didn't see it yet. So what I was seeing from a sensory standpoint was 
um, a lot of fear and avoidance and dislike for messy play and other tactile or touch senses. She started getting picky about the way that her socks felt. She started complaining about having her hair, her wet hair brushed after the bath. She would barely poke Play-Doh with a finger and immediately wipe off her finger even if nothing got on it. She would cry at the sight of things spilling, like uh, food spilling or water spilling or paint, even if it was not in her environment, even if it was on TV or even if it was across the room and didn't actually touch her. She would cry at blankets getting wrinkled or not feeling right. And the turning point for me with her sensory challenges was when I noticed it starting to truly impact her participation at school. So we were doing these two-hour drop-off preschool classes, and I remember hearing another mom say, aren't those crafts that they're bringing home just so cute? And at that point, we had been in the class for a few weeks, and I had yet to receive a craft. I asked the teacher, does she have any crafts to bring home? And he mentioned, no, Liliana does not like to participate in arts and crafts. She usually avoids it. So that piece really added to the picture because as we say, for kids with sensory quirks or kids who have these sensitivities, it all depends on how much it impacts their life. And if it starts to prohibit them or inhibit them from participating in things that are important to daily life, and at her age, participating in crafts in a social setting was important, if that is part of the picture, then it probably is time to seek support. So emotional regulation challenges, as you know, were the huge meltdowns. And she also had this very, what seemed like irrational fear of males. She would cry hysterically when certain family members would be in the room, even the gentlest, nicest ones who always gave her the best presents. She would just cry. And this is also when I started noticing this odd fear or kind of obsession with food going away. So it's not quite like in a picky eater sense, but she would have these fits of rage when she'd be eating a bowl of strawberries or waffles off a plate and she would notice the amount dwindling and would insist on having more even though the food was still very plentiful for her. When she ate oatmeal or yogurt in a bowl, she'd start crying when she could see the bottom of the bowl signaling it's getting smaller. This was also the time when she would just start waking up in terrible moods, dysregulated from the jump of the day. I had no chance to even get out in front of it to help her get regulated. I was miserable and we needed help, which I had been saying this whole time. So our developmental pediatrician appointment was finally set and it was for October 31st, Halloween. And that entire week, I was incessant on making sure that she was well-fed, well-rested, away from germs. I wanted to I wanted to make sure that she would be the most regulated on the day of her evaluation. I even made sure to pick the time that was first in the morning when she was usually the least fussy. I literally did everything in my power to set us all up for success. All right, can you tell that this is leading up to something? So we get to the office and we're waiting in the patient room, waiting to be seen. Liliana goes through all the normal heart rate, temperature, weight checks, already a bit on edge and anxious because, you know, we're in the doctor's office, but nothing major. 
She saw some nurses walking around with Mickey ears and princess hats for Halloween and was interested in that. And we're waiting, 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 waiting in the room quietly. And we hear knock, knock at the door and we say, come in. And in the absolutely most dramatic entrance ever, the door slides. It was a wooden sliding door. The door slides open and there stands a over six foot tall full Iron Man costume, including the headpiece mask with lighting up eyes. And he just stood there. And Liliana absolutely lost it. Anxiety from the doctor's office? Check. Anxiety from the male figure? Check. Anxiety from unexpected, never-before-seen, robotic, non-human-looking figure in front of her? Check. I mean, she was hysterical for the full 40 minutes. Not one actual assessment was done other than parent report, which consisted of him asking me questions and me trying to scream the answer over Liliana's shrieks. People always ask, did he take off the costume? He he did in a very awkward way. He obviously had clothes on under, so he sat in his doctor's chair with like the pantsuit like rolled down, <laughs> down to his ankles, and he did take the mask off like right away. But still, the damage was done. His report basically said that he couldn't form a good assessment and the results were inconclusive because the patient was, quote, distraught and withdrawn throughout the entire session. (laughs) I mean, like, no shit. No shit she was distraught and withdrawn because Iron Man showed up at the door to someone who has anxiety. I like, I I just, (laughs) I can't get over it, guys. But I was livid. You could have seen smoke coming out of my ears. Like, dude, you had one job, literally one job, to show up and assess my daughter without scaring the living crap out of her. Yes, it was Halloween, but dude, you work in a field where you are assessing children with potential anxiety disorders, autism, or other challenges who are seeing you for the first time. Like, why did you do that? (sighs) Okay. Anyway, I can't, I can't keep talking about it or I get too heated, but this happened over two years ago and I'm still boiling. I'm, I'm laughing now because talking it out is funny, but it, it really, really bothers me thinking about it because again, thinking about how much time I spent preparing for this visit and all of the work I spent making sure that she was set up for success and he went and did this and I had to jump through all these hoops just to get this appointment in the first place. So that was a bummer. The good news is it was Iron Man who connected us with our play therapist who is still working with me today. She is working with me in a different capacity, which I'll share in the next episode. But we also did get some OT support, which I also ended up pulling her out of after two visits that I will share with you in the next episode. So that's it for today. I will see you next time. I can't wait to fill you in with the rest of our story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.